podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothband back in the chair. And with no football to talk about, we started this series of interviews with a legendary City keeper, Joe Corrigan. And now, five interviews later, it's time for another fan's favourite from Between the Sticks. A huge welcome to the Man City Show, to Nicky Weaver. Hi, Nigel. Thanks for having me. Good to be on the show. Really great to have you as well. Uh, listen, before we get into you and your story, Nicky, can we just talk a little bit about the current situation Football behind closed doors we've seen in Germany. It's all started this weekend. Your, your thoughts on that, Nicky? Should should football really be played behind closed doors? Well, in, in an ideal world, we, we wouldn't want it behind closed doors, but it's um, it's where we find ourselves, and it's it looks like that's what's going to happen. It's very strange watching the German games over the weekend. Um, it, it's far from ideal, but it, it's finishing the season, which is, is hugely important to everybody. Um, and it's it's very testing times. There's far bigger and more important things than football um, at the moment. But I think what football will do, it'll give um, the whole nation a boost, and um, you know, give give people something to look forward to. But it's, it's very strange times. Um, the sort of we're in uncharted territory, so it's going to be a bit of a you know follow the Bundesliga guide a little bit if you like, and and. Not, it looks like the teams are starting back training imminently, and you know it's just going to be a you know a step by step gradual thing. And yeah, it's uh, it, we, we are going into the unknown, but um, you know it'll, it'll certainly be interesting. That is for sure. Sure. I, I mean, just as, as an aside, before we move on, did, did you ever play behind closed doors? Is that something you've ever experienced yourself as, as a player? Um, not really. Um, I think you've ever played behind closed. Sometimes I've played pre-season friendlies away. Um, yeah. behind closed doors um, and they just do feel more like a practice match you would have yeah. on the training ground um, so yeah it is uh, it's going to be a little bit strange but um, you know it is what it is you'll be able to hear everything the players are saying and um, <laughs> you'll be able to hear the, the tackles flying in and you know studs clashing and all that sort of thing um, so yeah, yeah it, it'll be very strange something that not people never really wanted to see but it's the it's going to be the new norm for a little bit I think I'm afraid it is, yeah. It's not something I'm looking forward to, I have to say. But listen, let, let's move on. Uh, Sheffield lad, born and bred. Uh, am I right in thinking you were a Sheffield Wednesday fan as well as a boy? Is that right, Nicky? Yeah, I was um Sheffield Wednesday fan as a boy. I started going, I think, around about 18, 1985, 1986. I mean, my dad used to take me and my brother. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's the, that's the club that I grew up supporting. Unfortunately, it was for me in my early teens, Sheffield Wednesday had a decent side. So, um, mm-hmm. I sort of watched one of the the best times of the recent history of the club. So I was fortunate in uh, in that respect. And who were your heroes at the time then, Nick? You just remind us who were the kind of the stars of the Wednesday team when you were growing up as a lad. Yeah, we had a, we had a striker called David Hurst. Um, course, played for yeah, yeah. whatever. He was, he was top striker. Um, Chris Waddle, um, mm. you know, is he's, he's sort of every Wednesday's, Wednesday fan's favourite. You know, there's lots of Carlton Palmer, John Sheridan, you know, 
um, Chris Woods in goal. So yeah, they, were just, they had some really, really top players at that time. Um, mm. And yes, yeah, so I, I was fortunate enough to follow them in a really successful period. And, and you were on the academy there as a, as, a, as a lad, weren't you, growing up? You joined their academy as a boy, didn't you? I think? Yeah. You used to call it a school of excellence then. And um, yeah. you basically played for your local village team and then a scout would ask you to go along training and, and you'd go along. But, um, but yeah, I, I was there sort of like when I was 13, 14, and then when I was 15, I actually left um, and, uh, and went to Mansfield Town, which was probably the best move I ever made because they've had a... If I'd have stayed at Sheffield Wednesday, I don't think they would have offered me um, like an apprenticeship because um, I wasn't really playing. They fancied the lad who was playing in front of me. Um, so, yeah, I went to Mansfield Town and, and it sort of kicked off from there. Now, we have a mate of mine on Twitter, Graham Howe, has asked a question. Uh, and he's the only Mansfield fan that I know. In fact, you probably, you probably know all the Mansfield Town fans. You probably know him yourself, Nick, anyway. And he says, he wa- it, yeah, I've got to ask you about your one game you played for Mansfield. So, can we get that out of the way just for Graham, please? You did play yes. one first-team game for Mansfield. Do you remember, do you remember yes. much about it? I remember it well. I was a first-year apprentice. I'd just turned 17 um, and we played. The goalkeeper got injured and we didn't have time to get anybody in on loan or anything like that. And we played away at Cambridge. And we won two nil, and I think it was the first away win for three or four months. And um, yeah, my mum and dad went down, and, and, and my family and what have you. And it's a, it's a, it was a league debut, so it, it, very unexpected. Um, but yeah, something that I was hugely proud of at the time, and you know, I, I, can, I can remember it fondly. That's lovely. Uh, a clean sheet as well. Then that was good, Nicky, in your first game. Yeah, I mean, I always remember second half. Uh, we come out and within the first minute, someone hung a ball up, and their striker sort of clean me out with a with a nice friendly elbow in my chops but I think the manager must have said listen this a young lad making his debut and sort of let, no one's laid a finger on him so that's uh, that soon changed in the second half but fortunately we you know we held on and uh, and I kept a clean sheet which was very nice uh, and I think City Scouts watched you, didn't they, when you were playing at Mansfield I think John Bond was the manager and a, and an ex an ex Stretford keeper who was on uh, City Scouting Books, I think, came to... I, I don't use their name, by the way, the team from just outside yeah, Manchester. Yeah, sorry. sorry, I just gathered yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> but, so, but yeah, it yeah, was... So, um, Mr Stepney, I believe. Yeah, for some reason, we were in a really good reserve league at Mansfield. And we used to play Aston Villa, not Forest, Leicester. We used to play some really good teams. Um, and Man City was in our league. And um, I played against Man City at Witten Albion. Um, and I think we lost 3-1, but I had a decent game. And I think... John Bond sort of said to Alex Stepney, that lad had a good game, we'll watch him next week. They played at Stockport. And we played at Stockport in a reserve game and had another decent game. And then um, a bid came in. And it was unbelievable, really, because I'd only played one first-team game for Mansfield. And then, so the next minute, I've got Man City trying to buy me. So it was, you know, I really was plucked from obscurity. And there must have been a bit of a hike in wages as well, wasn't there, in those days as well, Nicky? I suppose, what were, do you remember yeah. you were on, on at Mansfield at the time? Well, I was on £42.50 a week. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I went to Man... I was all set to sign a professional contract at Mansfield. Um, I think it was £125 a week I'd been offered, something like that, which I thought was great. Um, I sort of couldn't get the pen out quick enough to sort of sign it. And then, you know, City came in and and then I was suddenly earning more than my dad, you know. <laughs> so it was um, it was unbelievable, really. And it, it all happened really quickly. And... Uh, and yeah, before I knew it, I, I was at the, the, the training. I'll never forget the day I signed for City. Um, I went over, we met Francis Lee, was the chairman. Frank Clark was the manager. 
Colin Bell was in the training ground. We met Mike Summerbay. So my dad was sort of, you know, in his <laughs> element. Um, all these England internationals dotting around, introducing themselves to my dad and what have you. And yeah, sort of, uh, I signed for City and, you know, couldn't really believe it, to be honest. Fantastic. I, mean, I think Ederson's on, on, is, is, is on about 125 quid a week now, isn't he? I don't think things have changed much since those days, have they? I think that's what Ederson yeah, wants, there, might be, uh, there might be a few, uh, few notes on the end of, uh, <laughs> compared to what I was on. But yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone earning, earning the money that they earn. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. So, so you've got a situation, you're Sheffield lads, played one game for Mansfield, and suddenly you, you pitch up at Man City. You just mentioned some of the, the legends of the club who were around the place. You know, Lee Bell and Somerville, it's not a bad trio to meet on your first day, and I'm sure your dad was in his element. So what? So just give us a bit more insight into walking into that club. Obviously, at Main Road in those days, um, clearly not, not doing brilliantly, uh, but still... A fantastic club with a with a great history. Um, what was it like? Who were the sort of characters who you kind of uh, were working with in those days? Well, I remember when I when I first walked in, sort of on my first day, really nervous. And you walk in and you see people like Georgie King Clancy and Uwe Rosler and Nigel Clough, and you're just <laughs> a little bit starstruck because you know I've only ever seen them on TV, and you're just like, <laughs> wow. Um, but everyone was really friendly, um, and and they welcoming. I sort of knocked around with. Or got a bit pally with a few of the younger lads, really, to start with. People like Lee Crooks, Chris Greenacre. I lived with Chris Greenacre in Biggs, yeah. Martin Phillips. Um, the Whitley brothers were sort of my age. Michael Brown was just a year or two older. So there was a, a core of younger players there. Um, and I sort of, you know, knocked around with them a little bit, I suppose, when I first went there. But it didn't take me long to settle in. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you, you're part of the, the squad. And, uh, yeah, you're just, just, just one of the lads, I suppose. And who were the pranksters? Who were, who were the jokers then, Nicky? Who were the, who were the guys that would 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 wind do, do the wind ups? Well, Kevin Orlock was um, he was a funny guy, and they, I always remember it. he signed sort of probably six months before me, something like that. Um, yeah. And I just remember when I first come out, I, I didn't actually know who Kevin was. I, I don't think, and I'm just thinking he's a bit loud, this fella. Um, anyway, after a, a few days, I realised he was you know like not only loud but very funny as well. Um, it was a great lad, Kevin. But when I first arrived, there was something like 55 or 57 pros or something like that. So there was three or four dressing rooms full. Um, you know, you had people like Jerry Creaney, Scott Hiley, Neil Heaney, Eddie McGoldrick, um, Alan Kernahan, you know, all sort of in the reserves. And, um, so it was quite surreal. And, you know, even playing in the reserves, you're playing with, you know, experienced players and a few internationals as well. So, uh, but yeah, I loved every minute of it. It was just just a fantastic sort of from from where I come from to where I was it was just you know sure. when you look back I sort of I suppose I had to pinch myself because it just all happened so quickly and then you know before you know it, I mean I was buzzing at first to get the training kit I remember <laughs> the kit man giving me like a roll an umbro towel and I'm just looking at the kit oh this is umbro this and like <laughs> back at Mansfield we just didn't really have anything we might get a t-shirt and a pet and I'm thinking oh, I've got a jumper and like a shower jacket and oh I've got some tracksuit bottoms and you know it was just everything about it was just on another level and I suppose that's the sort of best way to be to sort of I'd rather do that than sort of start at the top and, and go back down if you like and was that just on the kit I, was, I suppose that would have been Chappie at the time as well was it was either did you work with him then in the, in the dressing room Chappie was there yeah um, and I think a guy called Ronnie Evans who helped Chappie as yeah. well he was like sort of physio as well and yeah. um, and again great characters Roy Bailey was the physio mm -hmm. uh, yeah. just just great people like Asa Hartford was there he was the reserve team manager 
Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just, just full of really, really good people and a lot of people that had obviously got huge city connections and had been there a long time. Sure. In turn, I think you you played for the reserves for probably a year before you got your first team chance, didn't you? Really? So you you said you played with some some great pros in in, in that reserve side, and uh, and then you got your your first team chance at, at long last. And to talk talk us through your city debut. Then what do you what do you remember about that? When did you know you were playing? Well, I remember. So I did. Like I say, you're right. I had a year sort of playing the reserves and whatever, which was great. By the way, for the summer comeback, it was Martin Margaretson at this point had been released. So it was me and Tommy Wright. So I'm thinking, well, Tommy will play and I'll be number two, which I'm thinking that's great. Um, and the pre-season went on. Um, and then I always remember there was a game the week before the season started and it was Ian Brightwell's testimonial. And it was against Sunderland. Um, and there was also on the same day a reserve game at Congleton. And I assumed I'd be playing at Congleton and Tommy Wright would be playing at Main Road against Sunderland. But when the squads went up on the Friday after training, I was playing at Main Road and Tommy was playing at Congleton. So I'm suddenly thinking, hang on a minute, I don't really understand this. Anyway, the the, the game came, I think we drew nil-nil. Or we might have won 1-0. Anyway, I had a sort of okay game, I suppose. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, I might play next week. And then when the, the manager named the team on the Friday, I was like, wow, um, I'm playing. <laughs> I didn't really know. I went back to my digs, which was in Ermston, um, mm. and I just couldn't sit still. So about four o'clock, I went and played 18 holes of golf, because I just, <laughs> which is not the best preparation. But I just did. I couldn't sit still. Um, obviously, very nervous, very excited, um, and I just wanted three o'clock Saturday to come to sort of get it over with, if you like. Because mm. it was a bit. Um, it wasn't really an enjoyable feeling because I was just so nervous. And then I remember going to the game and I had a suit on and my armpits were dripping and I couldn't eat any pre-match. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have a nightmare. It's, you know, what happens if I let one through my legs? Or what happens if I drop this? Or what happens if this happens? And all the sort of, the typical thing, you know. But when the game started, it was just, you know, um, after the first couple of touches, it was just, yeah, just... You know, 22 lads on a football pitch, you know, trying to score a goal. And, uh, and just remind, luckily, remind ourselves, sorry, but just remind ourselves, Nicky, that had City got relegated the season before, so we're now talking third tier of English football at this time, just to get our, our kind of jog... Our, yeah, so it's obviously uh, the only time the club has been in that division. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I remember it was a scorching hot day against Blackpool, there's 32,000, 33,000 there. Um, and I think everyone just didn't expected us just to sort of to win the league at a canter because we're Man City and we're, we're the biggest club in the league by a mile. Um, yeah. And probably after the first game against Blackpool, we won 3-0. You know, everyone probably, you know, all that pre-season optimism was sort of, was, was bubbling up nicely because, you know, we had a great performance um, and everyone went away happy that day and I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, you know, I'll always be thankful for Joe Will for giving me my debut that day and it's something that... Um, no, I'll always remember, and uh, fortunately, I managed to keep a clean sheet, and we won. I'm always interested in kind of memorabilia and stuff as well, and, and, and I've talked to a few players. I'm very fortunate doing the podcast to have chats with, with with former players from time to time, and it's interesting. Some of them, it's kind of well, I think I think they're in a box in the loft, and others have kind of got their man cave. Uh, where do you sit? Because you 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 won a few bits and pieces. You obviously got a couple of uh, uh, England not not full caps or under eighteen and, and under twenty one caps and so on. What what do you do with your stuff, Nicky? You must have had the odd man of the match award occasionally as well. Where where, where is it? Yeah. Are you boxing the loft man or are you man cave? No, I'm 
I'm lucky enough, really. I've got um, a games room with a, a bar and a snook table in it and all that sort of stuff. So um, I've got um, most of my stuff in there. I've got a trove cabinet sort of encased within my bar. Um, yeah. And that's always interesting when people watch that for and watch that. There's bits and bobs you pick up over the years. And uh, But my actual, my probably my, my prize asset, which is my Wembley shirt, um, is at my mum and dad's. So okay. it's hung on on their wall so every time I go to everyone dad's which has not been that much recently because of what's happening <laughs> I, uh, you know if I ever go upstairs I see it over on the wall upstairs so uh, I might try and wrestle it back and try and get it in my games room at some point but yeah they've got it there and uh, you know it's something that you know they're very proud of as well and one other obviously we can imagine the sort of medals you know the, the promotion medals you've got and, and, and that and your England caps and so on Any, anything a bit quirky in there that you might want to share with us what sort of you know, um, stuff in there I won a the South African Supporters Branch Player of the Year, <laughs> either 99 or 2000. And instead of sending me a trophy, he sent me an ostrich egg. So it's an ostrich egg. Um, it's like on a... So there's like a base, like a little marble base with a stem on it, if you like, and the hole in the bottom of the egg, and the egg sits on it, and there's some pictures of like some elephants, I think, on the egg, but then it's engraved on a little plaque at the front of the marble base uh, saying player of the year. So that was a little bit um, <laughs> a little bit different, shall we say. Yeah, I've never had a... It's the only time I've had an egg and, um, <laughs> instead of a trophy. But again, very, very quirky, and it's something that when people do come round, they're sort of past that egg. So I have to tell them what it is and, uh, and, and where it comes from. That was a great story. I love that. Yeah, after this, you must send, if you wouldn't mind, you must send me a photo of that. We must share that if you're willing to do that, Nikki. Yeah, um, I'll send the photo. Yeah, yeah. If you can send me a photo, I'll, I'll tweet that out. I know we've got a lot of our listeners uh, follow us on Twitter as well, at City Podcast. So thank you, Nikki. We'll, we'll sort that actually, out and get that loaded. I was actually, uh, I did a, a question and answer night with Sean Gocher probably six months ago now. And um, a guy came up to me then, a South African guy. And he says, <laughs> do you remember receiving an egg? So I said, yeah, I still got it. And he couldn't believe I'd still got it. And he went, I was the one who, gave, who presented it to him. Oh, to brilliant. Him. And uh, he couldn't believe I'd still got it. But yeah. What a great story. Great story. I think story. things like that as well. It's, as you're collecting things as you're going on in your career, you don't really think too much about it. But it's only when you finish your career, you know, there's stuff that I give away, um, mm. which, you know, I threw my gloves and my boots into the crowd at Wembley. I give, mm. I give shirts away and... You wish you'd have kept it all, but you know, um, I suppose it is what it is. I, I've got a lot of stuff, but I wish I'd have sort of, you know, kept more things. Well, we'll come on to that. If Andy Morrison hadn't rugby tackle you, you might still be running, actually, to be fair. But I'm glad he stopped you because it'd give you the chance to chuck your boots and, and, <laughs> and your, your gloves in the crowd, to be honest. But uh, we will come back to that, obviously. I'm sure it's something uh, you, you want to share with us anyway. We certainly want to hear about it. Um, so, Again, that season when we were obviously third tier, uh, we'd been relegated. We'd had a bad run, and then I think we ended the season very well. We had 20-odd games, didn't we, on the trot, with sort of an unbeaten run, which kind of got us to uh, the playoff final. And there was a, a certain signing that year, who I've just mentioned, who made a bit of a difference to that side, didn't he? Big, big stocky Andy Morrison. He was, he was some signing, wasn't he, that season? Yeah, Andy came in um, probably October, November time, um, and we'd had a... You know, after the, the game against Blackpool, we had a bit of a dodgy run and we found it a little bit difficult in that division. Um, and we had some horrendous results. Um, and things really weren't going going our way. And obviously, Big Joe must have 
you know, realised that we needed someone of Andy's ilk and sort of his presence and demeanour and authority to come in. Um, and he managed to get him. And, um, and yeah, he, uh, he was fantastic for us. I think Joe, I think Peter Jackson was the manager at Huddersfield. Uh, and we got Andy from Huddersfield. And I think Joe, the story goes something like this. Joe rang Peter Jackson up and said, we're interested in taking Andy Morrison. And Peter Jackson said, well, last time I spoke to him, he threw a desk at me. So Big Joe said, well, I'll do for us then. He so, could do that with one, um, with one arm, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. So I always remember Big Andy when he first came, it was like, wow, this guy, he walked in and he's, you know, he's a big, you know, brutish looking, aggressive sort of character. And you're thinking, wow, you don't want to mess with this fella. Uh, but he was just what we needed. And we, we also signed sort of Terry Cook and Gareth Taylor mm-hmm. around about that time. And, and they did well as well. And, and everything just started to gel. Around about Christmas time, just after Christmas, everything started to gel. So, um, like you said, I went on a really good run towards the end of the season. And just just going back to Andy for a second, because he was such such a character and, and such a, a brute of a man. Just just again, give us a bit more of an insight into what impact he had, kind of in the dressing room, on the pitch. I mean, what sort of character was he there? Was, was he the person who made the difference as a fan? You know, who who, who travelled home and away, who was at Wembley for that Gillingham final, which we'll come on to, and who didn't leave the stadium. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, you know, what, what, just help us understand a bit more about Andy Morrison and, and what he was like around the club. Well, it was he came in, and I think Joe, I think Jamie Pollock was captain, um, and then Joe get, soon gave Andy the captain's armband, um, and it, no slight on Jamie, but you know, Andy was just what we needed. Uh, he led by example, and the thing with Andy as well is. For how he looks and how aggressive he looks, he could actually—he was actually a really good player, and he had quite a silky first touch. He had a good range of passing, but people sort of overlooked that because of um, because of his the way he looked. Um, and yeah, it was just what we needed at that time. Um, he chipped in with a few important goals. It was, you know, I mean, you wouldn't have fancied playing against him if he were a striker for the opposition. He, he sort of relished the sort of hurly burly big. Only sort of striker, if you like, because he wanted to have a, you know, a wrestle and a battle with him. Um, and it was just what we needed. Um, and yeah, he uh, he was sort of the the, the the piece in the jigsaw that just sort of kicked us on a little bit. So that run that you talk about, Nicky, gets us to Wembley uh, to play Gillingham. Tony Pulis is Gillingham, and that was a game we had to win as a club, wasn't it? I mean, how important was that? Just just help us understand a bit about the the build up to that game and 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 the level of preparation and excitement, or was it fear? What, how would you describe it well, going into that? I always game? remember the build up because we, we managed to hobble over the line against Wigan in the playoff semi final, mm-hmm. um, and then it was I think that was like a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, and you don't play till like ten eleven days the following sort of weekend, so mm-hmm. it was a long long time, um, and it you know. It, Obviously, everyone's just excited and wants, wants, wants the game to come. And we trained at Main Road. We, we, we didn't train at Park Lane. We trained at Main Road every day then. Um, and I remember going to Main Road, and it must have been, well, it was. It was the day when the tickets came on sale. And they were queuing all over. <laughs> it seemed like they were queuing all over Moss side. Um, yeah. And it was just like, wow, what sort of game this is. And, um, and yeah, I remember... Um, Training every day at Main Road, and yeah, just just, just absolutely looking forward to, uh, to to get into Wembley. You know, I'd been I'd been to Sheffield Wednesday to watch 
sorry, to Wembley to watch Sheffield Wednesday, you know, in 1993, and this is only six years later, and then suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm going to be playing there. So it was uh, just exciting times, and and I think because we, it wasn't like we dropped out of the automatic spots either. So it, it was we were always going to be in the playoffs. We're never really going to get automatic. So sometimes if you're second, then you drop to third. It could be, a, you know, it can be a little bit flat. But we were sort of really on a good run of form going into the playoffs. So we were, you know, really confident. Uh, we were two nil down. You may remember. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and so Horlocks, I mean, I didn't, I didn't celebrate Horlocks' goal. I have to say, because for me, it was just too little, too late. And people, the people around me, there were a couple of people who applauded lightly, but that was it. There wasn't much of a celebration. I don't know whether you remember that. How you felt? Did you feel yeah. at the time it was too late, or did you think, oh, well, there's a bit of chink of, uh, there's a bit of an opportunity here? How did, how did you feel at two nil down, and then when Horlocks scored? What was, what were your emotions at those two points? Well, at two nil down, I mean, the, it was a pretty dour game. It was mm. like a dull sort of drizzly afternoon, and it was a, a pretty rubbish game, really. Um, and yet, suddenly, Carlos Alder scored, good finish. And then Bob Taylor scored three or four minutes after, um, and I mean I should have, I love my hands up. I should have done better with that goal. I was probably too advanced and uh, slightly out of position. You, what are you talking about? You're at, you're, at, you're at fault for both goals, Weaver. What are you talking about? <laughs> not the first one. I, I, I love hands up to the second one, but uh, not the first one. Um, and yeah, suddenly you're suddenly thinking, wow, we've thrown it away. What a season, and we've sort of thrown it away. Um, and like you said. Sort of Kev scored what everyone just thought was a consolation goal, and like I said, it wasn't much. It was just a little sort of cheer. Um, and then the next minute, and at this point, they'd taken Carlos Arbor and Robert Taylor off to put two more defensive players on. So, and then the big turning point for me was when the fourth official held five minutes up, and I, I can yeah. picture Tony Pulis in my head now. He was going mad. He was not <laughs> not happy. I mean, I don't know where Mark Olsen got the five minutes from, but. Um, you know, we, we weren't complaining, and and yeah. So once you get that one, a little bit of panic set in um, in the Gillingham players. Obviously, we're kicking towards you know the City end as well. So they're yep. all the fans obviously trying to suck the ball into the goal, and uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, Vince Bartram, their goalkeeper, was far busier than me. I didn't have that much to do um, in in the game. Um, Vince made quite a few saves off Paul Dickov, his, his best man at his wedding. And yeah. Um, yeah. unfortunately, yes, 94 minutes, whatever it was. And, you know, one fell to Dickie, probably one of his more harder chances of the afternoon. And uh, <laughs> the next minute, the, the net's bulging in the top corner. And, uh, you know, it just, I mean, I remember running the full length and doing a big like, belly flop slide. It's not on camera or anything. And just thinking, wow, how on earth have we dragged ourselves back? from this because we were absolutely dead and buried we were gone um, and then suddenly to, to to claw it back to that was just uh, mm-hmm. just unbelievable and you know once once that happened I think it was written in the stars then and then the, the momentum was with the City and as you know obviously the penalties were were, were, were done at, at the City end which I'm sure must have helped as well I'm sure but and did you kind of practice penalties is that something you'd practiced uh, yeah. in the week in the week beforehand and you do you do your research in terms of you know where's Butters going to you know Butters is Guy Butters going to stick it to my left hand side or, or, or was it not quite as sophisticated as that it wasn't as sophisticated then I mean we did do a lot of practice every day actually we trained at Main Road so every day after at Main Road we um 
the practice penalties. And I'll be honest, I wasn't very good at them to be fair. I didn't say too many. Um, but there was certainly no technology. We didn't sort of, we didn't have any information on their takers or anything like that. So it was just sort of guesswork from me, if you like. I mean, I just remember trying to make myself as big as possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, people forget as well. I always feel a little bit sorry for Kevin Orlock because he scored during the game and scored his penalty. And he doesn't really get a mention where Dickie scored in the game, obviously. Missed his penalty, but yet Dickie gets all the, you know, all the, all the plaudits, if you like, for, for the goal. So I do feel a little bit sorry for Kevin. He calls it the forgotten goal. His goal, but um, so I do feel a little bit sorry for him in that respect. But uh, but yeah, the uh, I mean, extra time just came and went. Nothing happened. Half an hour and just nothing happened. Well, I don't think. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not, not even not even talking about extra time because I can't even remember it. It was a case. Yeah. Of, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Huge, I remember nothing about extra time at all. A huge thing for the penalties. It was at the city end, um, yeah. and suddenly that must have made me look a little bit bigger and the goal a little bit smaller. Um, and we're not, even all the City players, we're not talking about big hitters here. We're talking about, like, League One players as it is now. They're not, so we're not, you know, it's a big nerve. It's not like you used to play in these sort of atmospheres and stuff. Um, unfortunately, I saved the first one, um, which then put us on, obviously, a really good sure. footing. And know, didn't, Dick off, didn't Dick off miss one? He hit the post or something? Yeah, didn't Dick both posts. Yeah, yeah, both right, posts yeah. and come out, so... So yeah, and uh, Kevin Orlock scored, Terry Cook scored, Richard Edgill scored, uh, yeah, and k- kissed I mean, his badge. Yeah, I can picture it now. I mean, uh, it went in off the other side of the bar. I mean, three keepers wouldn't have saved edges, and he wasn't famed for his sort of striking prowess, shall we say? But uh, but yeah, like they had, and they so I saved the first one. Then they missed their, he missed the target on the second one. Then yeah. They scored one. Then obviously come to the the final one. So, so, so did. Go on, sorry, Nicky, go on. I was going to say, Sean Goethe was due to take our next one, the yeah. fifth one for us. Um, and I just remember saying to the linesman, you know, if, if, if I save this, is that it? He said, yeah. I thought, I said, yeah, sure. He said, yeah. And, uh, you know, well, you know, you know what's it. coming You know what's coming next, Nicky? So so you, you dive to your left. I think you saved it with your feet. It doesn't really matter. Who cares? But you save it. And, and just talk us through what happened next. What on earth was going on in your head? from that moment well, just help help us try and understand I know you've been asked this question a million times before but I just uh, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask it again today yeah obviously I, I danced to the left I managed to get two decent hands on it I saved it and then sort of this as I was like just describe it as electricity was sort of running through my body and I, I sort of waved the lads over um, <laughs> and then as the lads started and I pulled a face which I've never pulled before that or since I don't know where that came from <laughs> <laughs> I've waved the lads over. They started coming, and then I'm thinking, well, I don't really want this to end. So I thought, I've gone a little run. And again, I'd, so I just opted over the advertisement. But I, I can only assume I did that because my mum and dad and my family and all my pals were in that corner at Wembley. So I can only imagine I ran round that way to sort of get closer to them and then hop back over the advertising boards and, um, and yeah, running around like a like a lunatic, um, and then it was only Big Andy Morrison that, uh, you know, that stopped me, and, and let me tell you, that the last thing I wanted after that run was a, like a 20-man pile-on, um, well, that's exactly what happened, um, I mean, I'll not tell you what I said to Andy at the bottom of there, but <laughs> it, I couldn't get any oxygen, in, you know, I was absolutely shattered, um, and yeah, it just everyone was on top of me, and then the next minute, they all peeled off, and, you know, just, I think, 
when I look back or think back, the overriding emotion was just relief because yeah. um, we knew we had to win that game and get out of that division and by hook or crook or however we did it and, and we managed just about to do it and um, you know when I look back now it's uh, just just the best time and uh, just fantastic memories and um, you know people ask me about it all the time and you know you never really get bored of talking about it because it was just such a such a special day you know well, it's just an iconic moment in City's history and such an important day. I mean, if we hadn't got out that day, then, you know, who knows? We could have we could have languished there for years and disappeared. I mean, yeah, that, was the, that, that was the start, Nicky. I mean, I don't underestimate the impact you had. And, and you will you will have a special place in City fans' hearts forever for that save. And, I'm not, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here. This, you are absolutely a fan's favourite for what you did for our club on that day and, and, and indeed in, in, in other seasons as well. You don't underestimate the impact well, some, that that yeah. had on our football club. It's very special. Something that you know, I'm very proud of. And um, just, yeah, just when I look back, just absolutely brilliant times. Great bunch of lads. I always think Joe Rule doesn't get enough credit. Um, he was brilliant, Joe. Um, unfortunately, he got sacked a couple of years later, but um, he was you know, the favourite manager that I ever played for. Probably played my best stuff under Joe. He gave him a chance. Um, and yeah, it's only that was almost like the first room on the ladder to sort of where City are now. And um, like, like you just said, who knows what would have happened if uh, you know if we hadn't have gone up. But it's just I don't think even I mean I was at the club till 2007, so I was there for another eight years, and I don't even think it sunk in while I was at the club. It was only. And then I probably didn't even sink in while I was embarking on my career elsewhere. Probably only really sunk in when I actually retired in 2014. And people, and then you sort of have time to reflect and look back. Um, and then you probably do more interviews and stuff when you've packed in because you've got a bit more time on your hands and, and what have you. And um, and yeah, it's it, it's it's something that people don't seem to get bored of asking me about, and I Absolutely. certainly don't get bored of talking about it. So. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. What was it about Joe Royal then, then Nicky? I, I was going to ask you about him next anyway, interestingly. It was sort of the next note in, in, in my notes here. So what was it about Joe Royal that, that he obviously got the best out of you? You respected him hugely. He, we had back-to-back promotions, which we're going to talk about that Blackburn game. I don't think I have to talk about the same the whole season, but I want to do talk about uh, the Blackburn game as well, of course, at the end of the following season. But uh, what was it about Joe? I think... Um, for me, he gave me my chance, which I was good. And I just liked the way he saw his man management was good. Um, you know, he, he knew sort of with me, he knew 
went to sort of put his own round. He went to give me a kick up the backside. Um, and he just had just had a nice way about him. He had Willie Donachie there as well, who was a great coach. Asa Hartford. Um, Alex Stepney was my goalkeeping coach. He just, yeah, just, I just liked everything about how Joe did it. Um, and he just had a, he had obviously a, a big connection with the club because of his time there as a player. Um, and he was, you know, he'd won things at Everton and stuff. So he was a, a sort of a big name manager at the time. Um, and it was great for me. He wanted to put the young boys in the team. Um, and sort of, we had that real good mix of youth and experience. And, uh, yeah, I'll always be grateful for Joe for giving me my chance. And, uh, you know, it's always great to see him, to see him now when I do see him. And, uh, yeah, huge influence on my career. Uh, without going through the whole season, we obviously we get back up to uh, Division One as it was, of course. And uh, I'm just going to go to May the seventh at the end of the season. We we go to Blackburn Rovers. I think there were almost thirty thousand there. I think twenty nine thousand of them were City fans. I think that day, and there were another ten thousand on the hill as well. <laughs> just just talk us through that that day as well, then, Nicky, would you? Because you, you you were in goal that day as well, weren't you? Of course. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was the end of my second season. So at this point, I'd played over 100 games now in the first team. So things for me were just were just getting better and better and better. Um, and it, that was just the most amazing day because, I mean, Wembley was unbelievable and, as a one-off thing. But to actually, the season after, the prize was bigger because it was to get to the Premier League then. Um, yeah. And to do it sort of back-to-back. No one really gives us a chance at the beginning of the season. We're probably up in mid-table, you know, to sort of mm. consolidate. So we find ourselves there. Um, and, yeah, it was just a day. I mean, I actually did a piece for, for Man City TV um, last Saturday on the anniversary of the game. And um, we watched the whole game. And I didn't realise how much Blackburn, they absolutely battered us. I knew they hit the crossbar four times, or the woodwork four times. But I, I, I could, they had chance after chance. Um they were just wave after wave coming through. I've made a, a couple of saves. And, um, but I can honestly say, the sort of, I mean, a lot of time, things are, we're not going up. We're in the playoffs because Ipswich are winning and we're losing. So it was really sort of, we're playing terrible. For how well we'd done throughout the season, we weren't really playing poorly. And then, to be fair, Big Joe, I think it was sort of two minutes in after half time, he took Jamie Pollock off and put Ian Bishop on. And um, that changed the game for us. And then sort of 10 minutes later, Paul Dickoff come on. Um, for, for Rob Taylor, I think, and and again, so we've got you know two fresh legs on, and uh, that changed the game. And it, I mean, when Sean got the first goal, it's a great ball in from Kevin Orlock. Um and when Sean popped the first one in, you're like, right, here we go, and because um, it was really tense before that, and then the second one went in. I think that was the own goal, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just. I mean, Blackburn they had some good players: McAteer, uh, Damian Duff. Um, David Dunn, you know, Matt Janssen, actually, that's some really, really good... Gary Flickcroft, obviously, ex-City player. Mm-hmm. They had some really good players. Um, Graham Sooners was the manager. And, and, yeah, but I can honestly say the last sort of 15, 20 minutes of that game is the most enjoyable I've ever had on a football pitch because I knew we'd won. It, it wasn't like where Blackburn might come back and they sort of got the flip-flops and they were ready for... You know, they had nothing to play for. They just probably just wanted to get out of there. Um uh- and what about the City fans that day, Nicky? What was, oh, your, what was yeah, your memory of, of the fans that day? Well, I remember, I mean, they, the, the people stood on the bank up to my left in the mm. first half. They had the best view because they saw all the goals because they're all at the same end. Um, yeah. I remember when I went out, I warmed up obviously the other end in front of the City fans. Then I went down to that end and I looked up on this hill. It was just a blue hill and I'm like, wow, they're everywhere. 
I mean, they always travel in numbers and, 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 and made a lot of noise, but I'm thinking, wow. I mean, it was a perfect end because it was red hot. It was obviously sunny. Um, it's only sort of, you know, 45 minutes an hour down the road, whatever it is. So it was easy for everybody to get to. Um, but at the time, the end of the game, I mean, I think at 3-1, they'd be on my goal doing the conga. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think the last 15 or 20 minutes, they must have opened the doors, let the Blackburn fans out and City fans in. <laughs> and they were just everywhere behind my goal in the, you know, um, the opposite goal in, in, in the second half of the day. Was it just in every, they were all four sides of the ground and they were making some noise. They were just having the best time. And I think for those two years, because the previous sort of six or seven years had been sort of doom and gloom relegations. So for those two years, back-to-back promotions, absolute, you know, brilliant, brilliant times for not only the players, but the fans as well and the, the, just the whole club in general. Fantastic. I, I, want, I want to talk about injuries as well, obviously, because uh, you, you clearly had a serious knee injury. Um, and you know you, you can't play. You kind of played one game in three years. I think is the statistic you you talk about quite regularly. And uh, it, it wasn't a serious operation, was it, to start with? Am I right in thinking you were out for a few weeks and then it just it just got worse? And you had what five operations in total on the knee? Just just help us understand the the seriousness and and, and the whole sequence of events with you with your injury, Nicky. Yeah, I remember it well. It was fifth of March two thousand and two at uh, St Andrews, and. I dived down to the left, and as I landed, I just felt something um, in my right knee, just like pop a little bit. But and then I got up, and it was a goal kick, and, I'm th- and I, I lined the ball. I'm thinking, I don't think I can take this kick, but I sort of give myself, come on, you, you know, get on with it. So I end up doing the most horrific kick ever, and um, then I laid down. Anyway, I, I, I came off, went for a scan, I tore my cartilage, no problem. Little operation, be six weeks, no problem. Had the operation, thought everything was fine, was rehabbing was just about to go back into full training. I mean, knee started swelling up. Um, we couldn't get rid of the swelling. So I went back to see the same surgeon. He went in, give it a little tidy up again. Again, another five or six weeks, I'll be back. No problem. Um, same thing happened again, just about to start back training. This time the knee swelled up huge. It was absolutely massive. And basically, the physio, sort of the doctor, um, they're saying we don't really know what what's going on here. Um, so after a, sort of a week or two of sort of not sh- hoping the knee would settle down, it never did. I ended up going over to America um, to the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, um, and it was basically I had another operation there. The same thing happened again, blah blah blah, and ended up basically having the fifth operation I had. So I had two in, two in the UK and then three in the States. The fifth operation I had. Um, was a big meniscal transplant. So basically, they, they take a cartilage, a piece of cartilage from a dead person and implant it in my knee, which at the time I was the first British footballer to have it done. Um, and it was sort of in its infancy, the operation. So it was really, they gave me a 70 30 chance of, of it being successful, which it's obviously stacked in my favour, but <laughs> not when your sort of career's sort of hinging on it. Um, and yeah, I was on crutches, I was on a walking stick. Um, when I come off the crutches and after the, the, the last operation, it was, you know, 12 months rehab. Um, during that 12 months, I, you know, I absolutely threw everything at the rehab because I sort of, when, when I had this, I realised obviously my career was on the line. I thought I've got to do everything I can here, you know, to save my career. And and if I don't, then I, I want to have no regrets. 
So if I, if I couldn't continue playing, I didn't want to look back and think, well, I could have done this. So I didn't, I didn't have a drink for a year. Um, I didn't, I didn't go out. I just, I lived like a monk basically for a year because I knew I couldn't live with myself if I'd not done everything I possibly could to sort of get back. Um, and yeah, fortunately, you know, I, I mean, at one point you got to the point where the doc, the club doc was having to inform my own personal insurers and the club insurers on a monthly basis of, of, of what statement he was in. Cause it looked like I was going to have to retire and, uh, and then make an insurance claim. Um, so I sort of pretty much come about as close as you can to sort of retiring. Um, and yeah, so fortunately, I, you know, I managed to managed to get over it. You did. You you came, you came back, and I think you played over thirty games, didn't you? The season you came back and so on. And uh, yeah, so you, you did recover. There's one game I do want to talk about um, because this is sort of also goes down in city folklore for for a different reason. It's I the know, last fifteen minutes of the 2004 <laughs> season. Claudio Reyna, yeah, came yep. in for Nicky Weaver. And why did he do that? Just for our listeners who may be slightly younger, Nicky, don't understand this. So just, just to remind everybody, it's uh, the last 15 minutes, 2004-05 season. Uh, Stuart Pearce is the manager of Manchester City. And Claudio Reyna replaces Nicky Weaver. For what reason, please? Please complete the conundrum for us, Nicky. Because David James was in goal that day. It was our goalkeeper, obviously, and England's goalkeeper. And... Stuart Pearce had come up with the idea that if it was in the situation we was in, that it was going to put David James up front for the last part of the game and try and cause a little bit of havoc, which um, he certainly did. So it was, I didn't know anything about this before the game. Um, the only thing I knew is Tim Flowers, who was the goalkeeper coach at the term, time, turned around with sort of, you know, 10, 15 minutes to go and said, we well, need to get warmed up. And I'm thinking, I don't really, I don't know what, what's he on about. And then, <laughs> It turned around again, and then he went, you're going on, get ready. And I just, so you had no oh, idea? So you no had idea. Part of no. What was, the, what was the view of the, the players? The, the, did anybody know? Had this been discussed with the rest, well, the rest of the squad? Must have known. Who knew about it then? Well, as far as I know, there was David James knew, hmm. Stuart Pearce, and Les Chapman, the kit man. Because <laughs> Chappie had to print up James one outfield shirt. Yeah. So... That's the first time I twig. When Chappie pulled this shirt out of his pocket, I'm thinking, wow. I, I sort of twigged what was going on. And I was sat next to John Macken. So just every man we'd spent £5 million on John Macken. And he's going to put, <laughs> he's going to put James up. And John Macken sat there. He was thinking, this is great. So, um, so, yeah, it was just the most bizarre thing. Um, and, yeah. And I'll never forget, that's the first time I played at the Etihad. And I'll never, ever forget the reception I got when I come on that day. And it was against Middlesbrough. And basically, yeah. it was one all at the time. If we, if we beat Middlesbrough, we went into Europe. If we didn't, Middlesbrough went into Europe. So there's a lot on the game. Um, so I've sure. gone on. I actually remember making a save off Stuart Downing. Uh, I was really nervous. Because oh, just, it just happened so quick. Because when you're on the bench as a goalkeeper, you don't really expect to go on. And especially not with like five, ten minutes to go or whatever. So I'm like, wow. So next minute we're on. And, and to be fair to David James, he actually, you know, caused a bit of havoc up there. It's, I yeah. mean, it's a bit of a comedy moment, but, you know, <laughs> it did cause a bit, a little bit of panic. I mean, he's a big old presence, James. He's a big boy. He got on the end of a couple of headers. Um, and, and yeah, it, you know, we end up in, I think, 94th minute. We, we get a penalty. And, you know, Robbie Fowler 
um, you're going to put your life on Robbie Fowler scoring a penalty. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for us, Mark Schwartz saved it. Um, and, and that was that. The game had sort of finished and we didn't go to, into Europe. But it was just the most... And it's actually... I think it was the first game my girlfriend had been to. And after the game, she sort of said, oh, does that happen all the time? And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, you, you probably never see that as long as you live. Um, and and you mentioned John Mac- you mentioned John Macken as well. I mean, he must be he must have oh, sat there and thought, "What those guys? That's brilliant." Well, brilliant. they sold him that summer. Uh, so I did actually feel a bit <laughs> sorry for John. Listen, I, I'm going to mention some keepers that I think you played with or was at City at the time you were there. Just give me, I want you to give me a, a, a sentence on each one, okay? I'm going to mention their name and whatever comes into your head. You ready to play this game then with me, Nicky? Here we go. You ready? Yep. David James. Super talented, uh, unbelievable physique, could make the hardest things look so easy. Um, That's three yeah, sentences. It, well, I'll leave it there then. Joe Hart. Talented, destined to go on to, to to great things and a great kid as well. Peter Schmeichel. Driven, focused, um, lovely down-to-earth guy, but don't want to cross him on a match day because he was so in the zone. David Seaman. Uh, Mr. Laidback. Um Chewing on his gum, twiddling with his ponytail. But lovely, lovely belly Yorkshireman. Andreas Isaacson. Andreas, Swedish. Uh, used to call him the stick insect because um, he was quite long and thin and gangling. If he had a good training session, I remember Joey Barton said he must have been under the heat lamp. So, but another nice guy, Andreas. Fantastic. Listen, uh, you left City and you, you sort of played for a few clubs, obviously Charlton, and then you spent some time in Scotland as well, didn't you, of course? What was, uh, what was your time up with uh, with Dundee United? And I think you played a few games for Aberdeen as well, didn't you? Yeah, it was brilliant. I left, I left City, went to Charlton for two years, left there, and then had a few options, but nothing that really jumped out at me. And then I got a phone call off Craig Levine, who was the Dundee United manager, said, do you fancy calling I sort of said, no, I don't really fancy it. And uh, anyway, he kept, kept ringing me. And then after a bit, I thought, you know what? Because they'd signed a goalkeeper that was coming in January. Um, so he said, sign for us till January, then you'll be a free agent in January. You'll play every game. You'll play against Rangers Celtic. You'll be live on TV. What better place than to put yourself in the shot window? So um, packed my bags and, and I went up to Dundee United. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved every minute of it. Um, and, you know, played at Ibrox at Celtic Park, which are unbelievable stadiums. Um, and really, really... You know, enjoyed enjoy my time there. It was uh, fantastic. I mean, listen, the SPL's not... It's probably more like League One, if you like, than the Premier League down here. But there was some some really top players in there um, spread within, you know, amongst all that. Um, and, yeah, really, really enjoyed my time. And then to sort of retire, I had a little spell at Aberdeen, uh, which yeah. was really, really enjoyable. Didn't play as many games as I would have liked. But at this point, I was sort of really struggling with my knee, but certainly glad I experienced, you know, life north of the border. I really, uh, you know, really enjoyed my time up there. And then back to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and where you, where you still remain today, are you still doing your coaching at, at Wednesday? Is that what you're still doing? Or are you, are you yeah, I'm the, the first team goalkeeping coach at Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, I'm so lucky because, you know, I support, as I spoke about earlier on in the shop, I, I, I supported Wednesday as a boy. Um, on me, on me come back from injury while I was at City, I actually had a three-month loan spell 
in 2005-06 at Sheffield Wednesday. Played 14 games, which was just unbelievable because it was just a, you know, a, a dream of mine to play for Sheffield Wednesday. And I realised that dream. Um, so I realised how lucky I am. Then to sign for the club again permanently, I, I could not believe my luck. I was based in London at the time, and my daughter was six weeks old, and mm. I got a phone call off. You know, Alan Irvine, Andy Rhodes, the goalkeeping coach, Alan Irvine was the manager. And, and I came up to Wednesday and, you know, so it was moving home for me. I left home at 16 and sort of moved back at 31, I think I was. And I couldn't believe my luck. It was absolutely, you know, the best move at the best time for me. And I, I played for three years there. And, uh, you know, just to have the 10 years that I had at City, which obviously the, the main chunk of my career and, and by far the sort of the best time of my career and played at the highest level that I ever played at, obviously, at City. Um, so to have them 10 years that no one could ever sort of take away from you, but then still to have sort of three years and two separate spells at Sheffield Wednesday, which is the team that, you know, I sort of followed home and away when I was a kid. Um, sure. You know, I realised how lucky I am. And then when I retired, um, I was offered the, the, the goalkeeper, academy goalkeeping coach's job there, which I took and, you know, I did that for four years and then I've been the first team goalkeeping coach for two years. So, so brilliant. Uh, I have to pinch myself, really, because you're just so lucky to be involved with, with great clubs all my career. But obviously, my main bit was Man City and, you know, then Sheffield Wednesday, obviously, big part as well. Nicky, I've got one eye on the clock, but we've had some brilliant questions through social media from Stuart Brodkin, Nick Goldstone, Paul Denby and Dave Hodgson, just the f- four of the guys who regularly come on the show. Can we just quickly whiz through these and just uh, some of it we've kind of covered in part, but I'd just be interested to have a, a quick answer for each of these. The, the first one is that you might remember that after 89 million minutes in the Gillingham game that Vince Bartram was actually awarded Man of the Match and uh, you went on to save your two penalties. Should you have won the Man of the Match award that day, do you think? I don't think so. I think Vince had a better game than me. Fortunately for me, I was sort of the one who had the ultimate saying it because I saved the penalties. But I think in the shootout, it's a chance to, you know, make yourself a, a name for yourself, and, and that's what I did. But Vince had a had a really good game, and and you know, I actually actually felt for Vince on that day because he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, next one. What was your second best city moment? Um, the Blackburn game. Um, <laughs> It was just unbelievable, the Blackburn game. Like I say, it was the most enjoyable period of time I've ever had on a football pitch. It was. Un- I wish I could have bottled that feeling up and kept it because I've never felt like it on a football pitch. I don't think. That was absolutely brilliant. And how much of the club changed between the first spell as first choice in kind of 98, 2000-ish to the 2006 when you had your second long spell? How different were the club in those two periods? It was hugely different. I mean, when I went, obviously, we were in the, you know, when I started playing in the third division, if you like, and you know, the last season I was playing in the, you know, in the uh, in the Premier League, and you know, signing players like you know Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler and Nicholas Belka, the goalkeepers that we've talked about. So, top top quality international players at the club, um, which sort of wasn't really the case when when I broke in. So yeah, I sort of played in in several different city teams. Um, yeah. And yeah, so very fortunate to, and as well, very fortunate to play at Main Road and the Etihad. I was one of the ones who sort of was there during the, in that change as well. We're going back to the other goalkeepers. I've mentioned a few of them already. Who was the easiest to get along with and who did you learn the most from? Um, I probably got on with Joe Hart, probably the best. He was a little bit younger than me, obviously. Um, but I got on with him and Casper Schmeichel, we've not mentioned really well. I remember going to Casper's 18th birthday party, <laughs> which uh, seems a lifetime ago. But yeah, 
David James was probably the most naturally gifted one out of them all. Um, David Seaman, absolute gentleman, Mr. Laidback, lovely, lovely guy. Actually saw him a couple of months ago. Really great to see him. Peter Schmeichel, just the, you know, Seaman, Schmeichel, James, the, the biggest names part, the other Schmeichel, the biggest names in Premier League goalkeeping almost. So to work yeah. with those guys was absolutely unbelievable. And they're all different and unique in their own ways, but all brilliant, brilliant goalkeepers. And last one before we do our final quickfire round. Uh, with the modern demand for sweeper keepers, who do you think would have been able to adapt? Who from your era would have been best suited to the whole sort well, of sweeper I keeper? Think in my era, it was just coming into it all then. I, I remember Carlo Cudicini at Chelsea was the first one that I seen do with a sort of sidewinding kick and all that. Uh, you know, and then sort of Pepe Reina took it on to another level. Um, but I think that it was the area before me that really struggled with the back pass because they never had to kick a ball with the left foot. Obviously, I grew up kicking it with my left foot. Where So I think it was the area before that really struggled. Imagine being 30 years of age and then suddenly having to kick a moving ball with your left foot, which you never had to do because you could pick everything up. Um, but I think it's all the keepers then would have just adapted to what it is now. But it, obviously now it's a, it's a game, you're almost an outfield player. I mean, Edison at City now, he is... He's the best keeper I've ever, ever seen with his feet. He's unbelievable. Whenever, whenever I go, I try and get there early just to watch his warm up. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, we're going to do our quick fire round finally. Are you ready for this, Nicky? Yep. Here we go. Marmite, love it or hate it? Love it. Aguero goal or Dickoff goal? I've got to be Dickoff for me. Coaching or playing? Playing every day of the week. Tea or coffee? Tea. Coronation Street or EastEnders? Neither. <laughs> Bake Off or I'm a Celebrity? Uh, I'm a Celebrity. Pierce or Royal? Royal. Sky Blue or Red and Black Stripes? Ooh, sky Blue. Christmas or your birthday? Christmas. Ski Slopes or Beach? Beach. Pint of beer or glass of wine? Pints of beer, several. <laughs> Main Road or the Etihad Stadium? Main Road. And finally, no, two more. Wednesday or City? Oh, both. Oh. I, can't, I can't pick, you know, I can't pick one. Not fair. Beating Chillingham or beating Blackburn? Oh, dear. Really, I'd have to say Chillingham just because of the enormity of the game, but Blackburn a very, very close second. Listen, Nicky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. This is Nigel Rothband saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.